I uh, sent the title into Gail and Lori this week, I didn't really think about it could be taken another way this winter. But uh, if by this point you don't know to beware of a drift, I'm not sure I can teach you. Church history is replete. There's a big word for you. Not a big word, just not a well commonly used word. It's replete. It's common. It's full of examples of men and women who were once evil and vile individuals. Concerned only about themselves and their own pleasure, who when confronted with the gospel, they repented, they confessed their sin, they allowed the Holy Spirit to perform His work of sanctification, His work of making them more like Christ, bringing them into the conformity of Christ's likeness, allowing the Holy Spirit to do that in their life, forever changing who they were, who they are. And we celebrate these individuals. Whether in seemingly ancient history or even today, when we see that kind of life change, that transformation take place, we celebrate it. We worship the Savior who saved a life from disaster and destruction. And we should. Unfortunately, we also see the other side, both in history and today. Men and women respected for their commitment to Christ and his gospel who have been honored and followed as examples of what it means to live as Christ's followers, and yet they wander away. They embrace maybe false teaching and promote that, or they just wander off to embrace a life of open sin and selfishness. We see it throughout history. We could spend weeks examining individuals who've done this, individuals that would be household names that we know. We also have family members, friends, who've done the same thing. They wander off, they drift away, they fall into sin, and they damage the name and the reputation of Christ. They pursue the promise of sin that will never deliver. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, The author is following up in the first chapter. He's, he's talking about how Jesus is better than angels. There was a time there was a group of individuals who were pursuing this supernatural revelation, pursuing, okay, who's going to be my angel that's going to give me special insight and in how to do this better? And the author is saying, hey, quit chasing angels, follow Jesus. He's better anyway. And in 2 verse 1, the author says, therefore, because of everything I just said about Jesus being better, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. 
Listen up. Pay attention. Remember, don't forget. Lest we drift. Now, the Greek phrase that is translated drift, most literally would be translated slip. And it conveyed the idea of an arrow slipping from the quiver, whether in battle or the hunter. I'm not a bow hunter. I don't need another obsession in my life. But when you're sneaking into your stand, whatever, you know, everybody just hates, you know, and the quivers now aren't like the quivers then, but, you know, you, you bend over, you're ducking around stuff, and the arrows slip out, and they rattle, and every deer within everywhere runs away. But, but the arrow slips from the quiver. It was the idea of, and we, and, and we get this, but in the mountains, and the snowpack gets so deep, and gravity takes over, and the snow slips, creating an avalanche, burying everything beneath. The idea was, you know, when you're eating or drinking and, and it goes down the wrong tube, wrong pipe, and you choke on it, it just slips down the wrong place. It requires no effort to slip. If you've been around this winter, you know Probably all of us, more than once, have looked up from the ground and wondered, how did I get here this fast? It requires no effort. All of a sudden, you're gone. You're done. You're down. When it's icy, we're careful, we're deliberate, we're watching where we step. Even then, that's not enough sometimes. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it. In Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called the day, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Take care. It requires action. Pay attention. The drift, the slip requires no effort. But to maintain our standing, to maintain, to stand firm requires work. It's reminiscent, another big word. It brings to mind Deuteronomy. The book of Hebrews is written to, a, to an audience with a, who's well-grounded in the Old Testament. They understand the Old Testament. They know the Old Testament. The book of Deuteronomy, little homework assignment for you. Just read through the book. It's, it's, it really is an easy read. It's not difficult. It's not hard. It's Moses' last words before going up on the mountain and, and dying. And just count up how many times he says, be careful. Be careful to remember. Be careful to teach the next generation. Be careful to listen. Be careful to obey all that you've been taught. 
that you have learned. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. I don't think most of us, I'll just put it on me. Maybe you do realize it. I've never really considered unbelief to be evil. Well, it just is what it is. You can do evil things, but is unbelief, the act of unbelief, really evil? Yes, it is. Take care, my brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Charles Spurgeon called it an atrocious offense against God, unbelief. He went on to say, it is calling God a liar, unworthy of my trust. To have an unbelieving heart. And when we fall away, when we wander off, when we refuse to finish what has been started. Because we think there's something better than following our Savior. When we think there's something better than what God has promised, when we question the goodness of God and the promises of God, and we go in search of what only God can give in places that have nothing to offer outside of pleasing, fleeting pleasure or distraction, we call God a liar. That's why unbelief is an evil thing to be guarded against. To look out for. To be ruthlessly, ruthlessly put down in our own lives when we see it creeping in. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We go back to that phrase, fall away. More literally, that would be wander off. If you're my age, you look back and you remember being at the store with your mom. I was never at the store with my dad but something catches my eye in the toy aisle or the candy aisle or the cereal aisle. And all of a sudden you realize that <laughs> mom's not there. Or you just kind of wandered down the aisle and oh no, we're now, you know, some, you know as a parent, <laughs> the kid wanders off and as scared as I was as a kid, I now realize as dad, you're way more scared when, <laughs> oh no, where'd he go? Take care lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away, to wander off from the living God, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called the day so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
In Jeremiah 2.13, we read that my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have dug cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Because they refused to believe God, they were going to do their own thing. They were going to dig their own cistern. It's not even a well. God is referred to as a well of living water, and yet you dig a cistern, what's a cistern do? It just catches and holds water from another source. You forsook me, the fountain of living water, and then you dug for yourself holes in which to hold water. Broken cisterns that cannot hold it. We've wandered off. We've seen it in others. Maybe we've seen it in ourselves at times. It's a scary place to be. It's a scary place to see those you love going. I want to leave you with three things this morning about drift. Three facts, three things in which will help us to combat the drift, the slip, to guard against it in our own lives. The first is this. No one is immune to drift. I don't see Jory this morning. I'm sure he's got five feet of snow in his driveway. But for years, we've talked back and forth, and, you know, no one's immune to stupid. You see something goofy happen, you know, whether it's in sports or just in life. None of us are immune to stupid. You know, it happens. Spiritually speaking, none of us is immune to drift. Whether it was five minutes ago that I realized my desperate need for a Savior and I repented of my life of sin, or whether I have walked with Christ for 70 years and done everything in my power to maintain that walk and know Christ better. None of us is immune to drift. None of us is above it. In James chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, James writes that not many of you should become teachers. Now, that's not an excuse. (laughs) We need Sunday school teachers. But not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. We all stumble in many ways. I'd love to say we outgrow it. I've not met somebody who has yet. And I've met some old men in my life. We all stumble in many ways. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed 
Take warning, pay attention, lest he fall. We never reach a point in our lives where we outgrow our need for the daily, moment-by-moment presence of the Holy Spirit to guide, to direct, and point our life to Christ. None of us are immune to drift. And when that thought creeps in, hey, (laughs) I think I've arrived. Look out. When that thought creeps in, man, that sin that I struggled with my whole life, ah, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Look out. No one will ever reach perfection in thought, deed, or action. We get better. We are to get better. We're to display and model the fruit of the Spirit and the character of Christ in an ever-increasing measure the longer we walk with Him, but we are never immune to drift. We need to pay attention and remember what the Scripture says in order to keep from slipping away from the truth. Our culture just hammers us with moral relativism. Well, figure out what's right for you and you do that. But what if what's right for me hurts you? Well, then it's wrong. Well, what if I don't know that it hurts you? Scripture is truth. In John 17, as Jesus is praying for his disciples, he says, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. We become more like Christ the better we know this book. I've heard Anthony say it often. It's sold out. I've probably said it at home. But we're all just three poor choices away from disaster. Not even three terrible choices, just poor choices. Which allow us to drift further from what we know to be true. So pay attention, listen up. No one is immune to drift. And because no one's immune to drift, I need fellowship and accountability. It's, it's got to be a non-negotiable in the life of the Christ follower. You can't go it alone. You can't think, well, I've got my Bible and I've got nature. What else would I need? Now, there's a place for that. There's a time for silence and solitude. But we need fellowship and the accountability that it brings. In Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider how to stir up or spur on one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, the day of Christ's return drawing near. Now, if 2,000 years ago when Hebrews was written... 
He's encouraging folks to keep meeting because the day is near. We're closer now than they were then. Let us consider how to spur on. I don't know if you're rodeo fans, if you grew up around horses. But you strap, buckle the spurs on your boots. And depending on how good a cowboy you are, you might have them big Texas spurs with like the three-inch spikes. I have no idea why you'd ever put a pair of those on. But I always like seeing a kid get on the horse and telling him to hook them. <laughs> Dig them spurs, rake the flanks, make them go. Growing up, my granddad, you know, he'd get us on the horse. Their hooves were about that big the time he'd trust us on them. It took some good spurs to make that horse just turn around. And then three steps to the fence to rub your leg off on it, right? Let us consider how to spur each other on. We don't just come here looking for something. We come to give. In chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Exhort one another every day. Encourage one another every day. Now, we aren't meeting here every day to do that, but it's never been easier to send a text with a scripture verse or just say, Hey, I'm thinking of you or I'm praying for you. Who doesn't like to see that? Church does matter. Meeting together does matter. And not because I say so. It's because the word of God tells us so. I'll put in a plug for ABF. ABF does matter. There is value in it. Now the last three weeks we've had a little hiatus here. Weather induced. Next week, we'll be right back at it. Right, Anthony? Guaranteed, no matter what. <laughs> Maybe. Scripture reading, scripture study, scripture memorization matters. I need the accountability that the Word of God gives me. I need the accountability that coming together and meeting with you all give me. These are things which hedge us in and protect us from drift. They protect us from drifting. Don't buy the lie that we can just do church at home. I'll just live stream it. You're snowed in. You're in good shape. I'm not talking to you. But there are many. It's like, ah. You don't know the job I have, the work I do, the week I had. I'll just, I'll just stay at home. I'll do this at home. It won't matter. It does matter. And even like this morning, when it is work to get to church, there's value in it. 
heard somebody say one time, well, I don't really need to go to church. I never remember what was said anyway. I look back two weeks ago, let alone five years ago, I don't remember a thing that was said. What's it matter if I come or not? And the pastor said, well, how often do you eat? Do you remember what you had to eat last week? Well, no. Do you remember what you had to eat a year ago today? Well, no. Well, did you eat? Yes. You need to eat. You may not remember that meal, but it benefited you and it helped you. And there was value in it for you. When you start to believe that I don't need fellowship and the accountability that comes with it, you, if, not, if you're not already drifting, you're in danger of drift shortly. Pay attention. Be careful. Remember what you've heard lest you drift away from it. No one's immune to drift. We need fellowship and accountability to help combat the drift. And finally, what do we do with the one who has drifted or we see drifting? How do we respond to that individual? In Galatians 6, verse 1, Paul writes, Brothers, if anyone is caught up in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. If anyone is caught up in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now before you back up and say, eh, that you who are spiritual, I don't know if that applies to me, that's our pastor's job. How popular is it when the pastor comes and says, listen, I see a problem. That's our job. Remember years ago when I was on staff at a church in Omaha, there was a, I, was, I'd been, I was being challenged. When you see high school students, when you see them start to drift, to wander off, you've got to confront them. Call them on it. Bring them back. And I can remember there was a couple times where a parent called me very angry. How dare I accuse their kid of you fill in the blank. Well, I didn't accuse them. <laughs> I just said, this is what I see happening. And I'm worried for you. How is that any of your business? I am your kid's youth pastor. I, <laughs> if it's not my business, whose is it? But you don't need the title of pastor. You who are spiritual. That doesn't mean you who are perfect. You who are walking with Christ. It keeps me from drift if when I see it in somebody else, I gently point it out. In Ephesians 4.15, rather, 
speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We confront sin gently and in love. You know, sometimes there's that sadistic pleasure in pointing out somebody's wrongdoing. And if that's the attitude that you have going into that, you need to back up and wait. You don't point it out with any pleasure or glee. I see you really messing up. And maybe I'm the only one that has to fight that at times. But when I see it, it's the loving thing to do. It's the kind thing to do. It's the merciful thing to do. It's the gracious thing to do to come alongside of somebody and say, hey, I'm worried about you, and this is why. Do I have reason to be worried? Restoration is always the goal. As Jesus spoke in the parables, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the prodigal son. Restoration was always the goal. It may not always be possible. Insofar as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. means it's on me to make an effort it's on the other party to reciprocate the goal is restoration and so today as you're moving snow you'll have time to think where am I at Am I drifting? Am I slipping? Am I placing myself under the authority of God's word and in fellowship with God's people? Or am I avoiding it? Am I warning or willing to warn those I see slipping? We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.